Chapter Twenty Three of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Twenty Three. Textbooks tell us that the Dermsala meteorites were picked up soon, or within half an hour. Given a little time, the conventionalists may argue that these stones were hot when they fell, but that their great interior coldness had overcome the molten state of their surfaces. According to the deputy commissioner of Dermsala, these stones had been picked up immediately by passing coolies. These stones were so cold that they benumbed the fingers. But they had fallen with a great light. It is described as a flame of fire about two feet in depth and nine feet in length. Acceptably, this light was not the light of molten matter. In this chapter we are very intermediatistic, and unsatisfactory. To the intermediatist there is but one answer to all questions. Sometimes, and sometimes not. Another form of this intermediatist solution of all problems is yes and no. Everything that is, also, isn't. A positivist attempts to formulate. So does the intermediatist, but with less rigorousness. He accepts, but also denies. He may seem to accept in one respect, and deny in some other respect. But no real line can be drawn between any two aspects of anything. The intermediatist accepts that which seems to correlate with something that he has accepted as a dominant. The positivist correlates with the belief. In the Dermsala meteorites we have support for our expression that things entering this Earth's atmosphere sometimes shine with a light that is not the light of incandescence. Or so we account, or offer an expression upon, thunderstones, or carved stones that have fallen luminously to this Earth, in streaks that have looked like strokes of lightning, but we accept also that some things that have entered this Earth's atmosphere disintegrate with the intensity of flame and molten matter. But some things we accept enter this Earth's atmosphere and collapse non-luminously, quite like deep-sea fishes brought to the surface of the ocean. Whatever agreement we have is an indication that somewhere aloft there is a medium denser than this Earth's atmosphere. I suppose our stronghold is in that such is not popular belief, or the rhythm of all phenomena, air dense at sea level upon this earth, less and less dense as one ascends, then denser and denser. A good many bothersome questions arise. Our attitude. Here are the data. Luminous rains sometimes fall. Nature, March ninth, 1882. Nature, 25437. This is light that is not the light of incandescence, but no one can say that these occasional or rare rains come from this earth's externality. We simply note cold light of falling bodies. For luminous rain, snow, and dust, see Hartwig, Area World, page 319. As to luminous clouds, we have more nearly definite observations and opinions. They mark transition between the old dominant and the new dominant. 
we have already noted the transition in Professor Shvedov's theory of external origin of some hailstones, and the implications that, to a former generation, seem so preposterous, droll was the word, that there are in interplanetary regions volumes of water, whether they have fishes and frogs in them or not. Now our acceptance is that clouds sometimes come from external regions, having had origin from super-geographical lakes and oceans that we shall not attempt to chart just at present, only suggesting to enterprising aviators, and we note that we put it all up to them, and show no inclination to go columbusing on our own account, that they take bathing suits, or rather deep-sea diving suits, along. So then that some clouds come from interplanetary oceans of the Super Sargasso Sea, if we still accept the Super Sargasso Sea, and shine upon entering this Earth's atmosphere. In Himmel und Erd, February 1889, a phenomenon of transition of thirty years ago, Herr O. Jesse, in his observations upon luminous night clouds, notes the great height of them, and drolly, or sensibly, suggests that some of them may have come from regions external to this Earth. I suppose he means only from other planets. But it's a very droll and sensible idea, either way. In general, I am accounting for a great deal of this Earth's isolation, that it is relatively isolated by circumstances that are similar to the circumstances that make for relative isolation of the bottom of the ocean, except that there is a clumsiness of analogy now. To call ourselves deep-sea fishes has been convenient, but, in a quasi-existence, there is no convenience that will not sooner or later turn awkward. So, if there be denser regions aloft, these regions should now be regarded as analogues of far-submerged oceanic regions, and things coming to this earth would be like things rising to an attenuated medium, and exploding, sometimes incandescently, sometimes with cold light, sometimes non-luminously, like deep-sea fishes brought to the surface altogether conditions of inhospitality. I have a suspicion that, in their own depths, deep-sea fishes are not luminous. If they are, Darwinism is mere Jesuitism in attempting to correlate them. Such advertising would so attract attention that all advantages would be more than offset. Darwinism is largely a doctrine of concealment. Here we have brazen proclamation, if accepted. Fishes in the mammoth cave need no light to see by. We might have an expression that deep-sea fishes turn luminous upon entering a less dense medium, but models in the American Museum of Natural History specialized organs of luminosity upon these models. Of course, we do remember that awfully convincing dodo, and some of our sophistications we trace to him. At any rate, disruption is regarded as a phenomenon of coming from a dense to a less dense medium. An account by M. Macarius, in the Transactions of the Swedish Academy of Sciences, 1808-215, translated for the North American Review, 3.319, that M. Macarius, having heard of an extraordinary and probably hitherto unseen phenomenon, reported from near the town of Skanging, Sweden, investigated, that upon the 16th of May, 1808, at about 4 p.m., the sun suddenly turned dull brick red. At the same time there appeared, upon the western horizon, a great number of round bodies, dark brown, and seemingly the size of a hat-crown. They passed overhead and disappeared in the eastern horizon. Tremendous procession! It lasted two hours. 
occasionally one fell to the ground when the place of a fall was examined there was found a film which soon dried and vanished often when approaching the sun these bodies seemed to link together or were then seen to be linked together in groups not exceeding eight and under the sun they were seen to have tails three or four fathoms long away from the sun the tails were invisible whatever their substance may have been it is described as gelatinous soapy and jellied i place this datum here for several reasons it would have been a good climax to our expression upon hordes of small bodies that in our acceptance were not seeds nor birds nor ice crystals but the tendency would have been to jump to the homogeneous conclusion that all our data in that expression related to this one kind of phenomena whereas we conceive of infinite heterogeneity of the external of crusaders and rabbles and immigrants and tourists and dragons and things like gelatinous hat-crowns or that all things here upon this earth that flock together are not necessarily sheep presbyterians gangsters or porpoises the datum is important to us here as indication of disruption in this earth's atmosphere dangers in entering this earth's atmosphere i think myself that thousands of objects have been seen to fall from aloft and have exploded luminously and have been called ball lightning as to what ball lightning is we have not yet begun to make intelligent guesses monthly weather review thirty four seventeen in general it seems to me that when we encounter the opposition ball lightning we should pay little attention but confine ourselves to guesses that are at least intelligent that stand phantom-like in our way we note here that in some of our acceptances upon intelligence we should more clearly have pointed out that they were upon the intelligent as opposed to the instinctive in the monthly weather review thirty three four o nine there is an account of ball lightning that struck a tree it made a dent such as a falling object would make some other time i shall collect instances of ball lightning to express that they are instances of objects that have fallen from the sky luminously exploding terrifically so bewildered is the old orthodoxy by these phenomena that many scientists have either denied ball lightning or have considered it very doubtful i refer to dr seaster's list of one hundred and fifty instances which he considered authentic in accord with our disaccord is an instance related in the monthly weather review march eighteen eighty seven something that fell luminously from the sky accompanied by something that was not so affected or that was dark that according to captain c d sweet of the dutch bark j p a upon march nineteenth eighteen eighty seven north thirty seven degrees thirty nine minutes west fifty seven degrees zero zero minutes he encountered a severe storm he saw two objects in the air above the ship one was luminous and might be explained in several ways but the other was dark one or both fell into the sea with a roar and a casting up of billows it is our acceptance that these things had entered this earth's atmosphere having first crashed through a field of ice immediately afterward lumps of ice fell one of the most astonishing of the phenomena of ball lightning is a phenomenon of many meteorites violence of explosion out of all proportion to size and velocity we accept that the icy meteorites of dermsala could have fallen with no great velocity but the sound from them was tremendous the soft substance that fell at the cape of good hope was carbonaceous 
but was unburned, or had fallen with velocity insufficient to ignite it. The tremendous report that it made was heard over an area more than seventy miles in diameter. That some hailstones have been formed in a dense medium, and violently disintegrate in this earth's relatively thin atmosphere. Nature, 88, 350. Large hailstones noted at the University of Missouri, November 11, 1911. They exploded with sounds like pistol shots. The writer says that he had noticed a similar phenomenon, 18 years before, at Lexington, Kentucky. Hailstones seemed to have been formed in a denser medium. When melted under water, they gave out bubbles larger than their central air spaces. Monthly Weather Review, 33, 445. Our acceptance is that many objects have fallen from the sky, but that many of them have disintegrated violently. This acceptance will coordinate with data still to come, but also we make it easy for ourselves in our expressions upon superconstructions, if we're asked why, from thinkable wrecks of them, girders, plates, or parts recognizably of manufactured metal have not fallen from the sky. However, as to composition, we have not this refuge, so it is our expression that there have been reported instances of the fall of manufactured metal from the sky. The meteorite of Rutherford, North Carolina, is of artificial material, mass of pig iron. It is said to be fraudulent. American Journal of Science, 2, 34-298. The object that was said to have fallen at Marblehead, Massachusetts, in 1858, is described in the American Journal of Science, 2, 34-135, as a furnace product, formed in smelting copper ores, or iron ores, containing copper. It is said to be fraudulent. According to Ehrenberg, the substance reported by Captain Callum to have fallen upon his vessel near Java offered complete resemblance to the residue resulting from combustion of a steel wire in a flask of oxygen. Zerker, Meteors, page 239. Nature, November 21, 1878, publishes a notice that, according to the Yuma Sentinel, a meteorite that resemble steel, had been found in the Mojave Desert. In Nature, February fifteenth, 1894, we read that one of the meteorites brought to the United States by Peary from Greenland is of tempered steel. The opinion is that meteoric iron had fallen in water or snow, quickly cooling and hardening. This does not apply to composition. November 5, 1898, Nature publishes a notice of a paper by Professor Burworth of Vienna upon the close connection between meteoric iron and steelwork steel. At the meeting of November 24, 1906, of the Essex Field Club, was exhibited a piece of metal said to have fallen from the sky October 9, 1906, at Braintree. According to the Essex naturalist, Dr. Fletcher, of the British Museum, had declared this metal to be smelted iron, so that the mystery of its reported fall remained unexplained. End of chapter 23. Recording by Acacia Wood. Chapter 24 of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter 24. We shall have an outcry of silences. 
if a single instance of anything be disregarded by a system our own attitude is that a single instance is a powerless thing of course our own method of agreement of many instances is not a real method in continuity all things must have resemblances with all other things anything has any quasi-identity you please some time ago conscription was assimilated with either autocracy or democracy with equal facility note the need for a dominant to correlate too scarcely anybody said simply that we must have conscription but that we must have conscription which correlates with democracy which was taken as a base or something basically desirable of course between autocracy and democracy nothing but false demarcation can be drawn so i can conceive of no subject upon which there should be such poverty as a single instance if anything one pleases can be whipped into line however we shall try to be more nearly real than the darwinites who advance concealing coloration as darwinism and then drag in proclaiming luminosity too as darwinism i think the darwinites had better come in with us as to the deep-sea fishes and be sorry later i suppose it will be amazing or negligible to read all the instances now to come of things that have been seen in the sky and to think that all have been disregarded my own opinion is that it is not possible or very easy to disregard them now that they have been brought together but that if prior to about this time we had attempted such an assemblage the old dominant would have withered our typewriter as it is the letter e has gone back on us and the s is temperamental most extraordinary and singular phenomenon north wales august twenty sixth eighteen ninety four a disc from which projected an orange-coloured body that looked like an elongated flatfish reported by admiral amani nature fifty five twenty four disc from which projected a hook-like form india about eighteen thirty eight diagram of it given disc about size of the moon but brighter than the moon visible about twenty minutes by g petit in professor baden powell's catalogue report of the british association eighteen forty nine very brilliant hook-like form seen in the sky at poland trumbull company ohio during the stream of meteors of eighteen thirty three visible more than an hour large luminous body almost stationary for a time shaped like a square table niagara falls november thirteenth eighteen thirty three american journal of science one twenty five three ninety one something described as a bright white cloud at night november third eighteen eighty six at harmer norway from it were emitted brilliant rays of light drifted across the sky retained throughout its original form nature december sixteenth eighteen eighty six one fifty eight thing with an oval nucleus and streamers with dark bands and lines very suggestive of structure new zealand may fourth eighteen eighty eight nature forty two four o two luminous object size of full moon visible an hour and a half chile november fifth eighteen eighty three comptus rendus one o three six eighty two bright object near sun december twenty first eighteen eighty two knowledge three thirteen light that looked like a great flame far out at sea off ryukyu december second eighteen forty five london royal society proceedings five six twenty seven something like a gigantic trumpet suspended vertical oscillating gently visible five or six minutes length estimated at four hundred twenty-five feet 
at Oaxaca, Mexico, July 6, 1874. Scientific American Supplement 6, 2365. Two luminous bodies, seemingly united, visible five or six minutes, June 3, 1898. La Nature, 1898, 1-127. Thing with a tail, crossing moon, transit, half a minute, September 26, 1870. London Times, September 30, 1870. Object four or five times size of moon, moving slowly across sky, November 1, 1885, near Andrianople. L'Astronomie, 1886, 309. Large body, colored red, moving slowly, visible 15 minutes, reported by Cagia Marseille, August 1, 1871. Chemistry News, 24, 193. Details of this observation and similar observation by Guillemin and other instances by de Fonville, Comptes Rindus, 73-297-755. Thing that was large and that was stationary twice in seven minutes, Oxford, November 19, 1847, listed by Lowe. Raxi, 1-136. Grayish object that looked to be about three and a half feet long, rapidly approaching the earth at Saarbrück, April 1, 1826. Sound like thunder, Object expanding like a sheet. American Journal of Science, 126-133. Quarterly Journal of the Royal Institute, 24-488. Report by an astronomer, in S. Drayton, upon an object duration of which seemed to him extraordinary. Duration, three-quarters of a minute. Jersey City, July 6, 1882. Scientific American, 4753 object like a comet but with proper motion of ten degrees an hour visible one hour reported by purine and glancy from the cordoba observatory argentina march fourteen nineteen sixteen scientific american one fifteen four ninety three something like a signal light reported by glacier october fourth eighteen forty four bright as jupiter sending out quick flickering waves of light yearbook of facts eighteen forty five I think that with the object known as Eddie's Comet passes away the last of our susceptibility to the common fallacy of personifying. It is one of the most deep-rooted of positivist illusions, that people are persons. We have been guilty too often of spleens and spites and ridicules against astronomers, as if they were persons or final unities, individuals, completenesses or selves, instead of indeterminate parts. But, so long as we remain in quasi-existence, we can cast out illusion only with some other illusion, though the other illusion may approximate higher to reality. So we personify no more, but we super-personify. We now take into full acceptance our expression that development is an autocracy of successive dominants, which are not final, but which approximate higher to individuality or selfness than do the human tropisms that irresponsibly correlate to them. Eddie reported a celestial object from the observatory at Grahamstown, South Africa. It was in 1890. The new dominant was only air presumptive then, or air apparent, but not obvious. The thing that Eddie reported might as well have been reported by a night watchman who had looked up through an unplaced sewer pipe. It did not correlate. The thing was not admitted to monthly notices. I think myself that if the editor had attempted to let it in, earthquake, or a mysterious fire in his publishing house, the dominants are jealous gods. 
in nature presumably a vassal of the new god though of course also plausibly rendering homage to the old is reported a comet-like body of october twenty seventh eighteen ninety observed at grahamstown by eddy it may have looked comet-like but it moved one hundred degrees while visible or one hundred degrees in three-quarters of an hour see nature forty three eighty nine ninety in nature forty four five nineteen professor copeland describes a similar appearance that he had seen september tenth eighteen ninety one dreyer says nature forty four five forty one that he had seen this object at the armog observatory he likens it to the object that was reported by eddy it was seen by dr alexander graham bell september eleventh eighteen ninety one in nova scotia but the old dominant was a jealous god so there were different observations upon something that was seen in november eighteen eighty three these observations were philistines in eighteen eighty three in the american meteorologic journal one one ten a correspondent reports having seen an object like a comet with two tails one up and one down november tenth or twelfth eighteen eighty three very likely this phenomenon should be placed in our expression upon torpedo-shaped bodies that have been seen in the sky our data upon dirigibles or super-zeppelins, but our attempted classifications are far from rigorous, or are mere gropes. In the Scientific American, 5040, a correspondent writes from Humaco, Puerto Rico, that November 21, 1883, he and several other persons, or persons as it were, had seen a majestic appearance like a comet, visible three successive nights, disappeared then. The editor says that he can offer no explanation. If accepted, this thing must have been close to the earth. If it had been a comet, it would have been seen widely, and the news would have been telegraphed over the world, says the editor. Upon page 97 of this volume of the Scientific American, a correspondent writes that at Sulphur Springs, Ohio, he had seen a wonder in the sky at about the same date. It was torpedo-shaped, or something with a nucleus, at each end of which was a tail. Again the editor says that he can offer no explanation, that the object was not a comet. He associates it with the atmospheric effects general in 1883. But it will be our expression that, in England and Holland, a similar object was seen in November 1882. In the Scientific American 4294 is published a letter from Henry Harrison of Jersey City, copied from the New York Tribune, that upon the evening of April 13, 1879, Mr. Harrison was searching for Brorson's comet when he saw an object that was moving so rapidly that it could not have been a comet. He called a friend to look, and his observation was confirmed. At two o'clock in the morning this object was still visible. In the Scientific American Supplement 7, 2885, Mr. Harrison disclaims sensationalism, which he seems to think unworthy, and gives technical details. He says that the object was seen by Mr. J. Spencer DeVoe of Manhattanville. End of chapter 24. Recording by Acacia Wood.